try and find something that would be a help, and we're going to look at some really difficult verses to understand, and then try and give some understanding with them. First John chapter three. And I'm going to start reading in verse 4. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. <clears throat> Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. We all agree with that. We, and that's not a hard verse to understand. And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. The devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. It's interesting right there, isn't it? Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, <coughs> Lord, we, we certainly do love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for your blessing tonight, Lord, that this would strengthen us, Lord, that helps us get even, even grounded and give us understanding of your word here, Lord, that it would draw us closer to you, Lord, that it would spur us on to a measure of holiness about our life um, and realizing what you have done for us and, and what we have because of your salvation and regeneration. Lord, so please, I pray you control what I say and how I say it. I pray that your spirit would work, and Lord, if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted. Lord, we pray for that conviction and for that drawing that even, Lord, this evening, they would repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, this certainly is an important truth that I think we're going to look at tonight. I remember back, uh, going back 1986, 1987, whenever it was, well, probably 85, 86-ish, I would have been 16 years old and going through the Bible for the first time and getting to this segment in 1 John. Uh, and I can remember it. Uh, I can remember the very first time I ever read 1 John chapter 3 because of the verses we just read. I remember reading them. Again, I'm just getting excited about God's Word. I'm starting to serve Him. I'm getting into the Bible. And, and I get to 1 John chapter 3 and boy, did confusion hit. I did not understand. I mean, because I, at first, my first thought was, wait, am I lost? Am I not a Christian? Because I knew I sinned. And, and there was a measure of confusion that hit me. Now, thankfully, what helped me at that moment during that reading time, I just wasn't reading simply a chapter, but more than that. So I'd also read at the exact same setting, chapter one. Which said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
So then the thought hit, do I have a contradiction? I'm like, I can't have a contradiction. And in my, keep in mind, I'm just learning the Bible. But in, in, my, in the simplicity of that moment, my thought did not go to God's Spirit. It was the same guy who wrote this, two minutes later wrote that. So I knew at that point in time, I just didn't understand what I was reading. All right? And those, these verses right here, there's many who do not understand what those verses are actually teaching. There has been a, there's actually a great deal of confusion and error. Uh, even when you go through different commentaries and read on it, when I was studying this text out, um, it, it's just amazing the different viewpoints that come on this. Let me give you some of the common ones. For those of you that are familiar with the doctrine that even some independent Baptists hold to, there's a doctrine called sinless perfection. This is one of their proof texts for, uh, uh, for that false doctrine. Uh, sinless perfection is nonsense. You're not going to arrive at a place where you are sinless. And by the way, it's always good to know, let me stress this, it's always good to know um, when, when you begin to follow after an individual, maybe some guy who's writing a book and his name grows in popularity or something like that, and that happens within our Baptist circles. All of a sudden, some book gets passed around and everybody's fawning over it. And you don't even realize what the person actually believes. All right? That happened with the doctrine of sinless perfection. Um, there was a super popular book dealing with family going around. And, and, and I'm like, people have no idea. The guy writing this is so off-doctrinally, it's incredible. And he, one of his major doctrines he was off on was that of sinless perfection. He actually taught that. But anyhow, this is not a proof text, nor does this section of verses teach sinless perfection. Another common teaching to try and understand what we're reading in this section of 1 John chapter 3 is you'll read a few commentaries that read like this, that what John is trying to deal with and the Lord's trying to show us is what the ideal Christian life should look like. All right. The problem is, it doesn't go that direction. That's not what it's saying. That's, that's making a, a lot of uh, assumptions that just aren't there in this text. All right. There's no way, if I believe that's what it was teaching, there's no way I think that's how it would read. So I don't believe that is correct either. Then there is a very common belief, and this one I believe has a measure of truth to it, because it is in this text, and I will cover it, but it's not, it's not the ultimate. of It doesn't fit all of the verses. And that is it's simply dealing with the new nature. And there is a portion of this text where that is true, and it is dealing with that, but that's not the, that's not the overriding one. Anyhow, I'll, I'll cover that when I get into the message. Uh, another false view, a fourth one, the last one I'll cover that I know of, is that it's only dealing with serious, great, immoral, willful sins. That that's what it's dealing with. That's not what it says. And usually, by the way, what we consider a, a, a great and serious sins, which they usually are, don't get me wrong, but we, we neglect other ones that God also considers great and serious moral failure, like pride. Um... So it's not dealing with that either. These verses are not dealing with perfection in life, but direction in life. As John was concluding, he's saying, listen, remember we went through 1 John back 2016. We covered 1 John in 2016. John was a guy who was very black and white. 
Remember that. And he was, throughout this, he was always trying to demonstrate, because of the Gnosticism that had come into the churches by the time he's writing this, the confusion it was causing. Those who were given in the flesh, you know, you can just feed the flesh. It's sinful, it's wicked, don't worry about it. That, was a, that, that would be a part of Gnosticism even. An element to it. John, John was, he, was, he was black and white. And over and over throughout this book, he was trying to get you to distinguish who is saved and who is not in the church. Okay? And that is also a, a portion of what we're dealing with here. So, <clears throat> again, we live in a day, by, and we need this today. Because we live in a day with such weak, shallow gospel presentations that it's absolutely scary at times. All right? We've, we've probably all been there. If, if, if you've been saved for, I would say this, 15 years, maybe in the last five, seven years, you might not have been. There does seem to be a swing away from it, which is really good. Um, and, but I, I don't know how many times I've been there, and, and, and in my ignorance, I was part of it. There was, there was several years in my life where, where I, I was part of the problem. And that is, you know, we've been there. Let's say I want to finish this service out, and I say, bow your head, close your eyes. Who wants to go to heaven? Well, who's going to say no to that? Well, I do. I want to go to heaven. Oh, praise the Lord. The Lord is working. Bow your head and repeat after me. As if words, those words simply save you. Again, you've already heard my testimony. I got convicted about that greatly by the time I was 21. Not because of a sermon, anything like that. It wasn't even an issue yet. But I had taken all the soul winning courses. I went out every single week without fail. And by myself, by the way. I didn't, bring any, I didn't have, every now and then, a, a man in the church who I'm still friends with, a Neil Stone would go with me. I would go on my own. I, I believed I should and I did. And there just wasn't a, and I think that was a good thing. That wasn't the bad thing. What I got convicted of, it's been about three years I'm into this. Every single week without fail, somebody made a profession of faith. All right? I didn't show up at church, by the way, and get up testimony time and say that. That, was, that, that, that just wasn't me. You can see, also, man, you know, it just, motive is so important for why you serve God. Please understand that. But on 21, it's a Sunday night service, and conviction hits. Really, the preaching hadn't even started yet. Where the conviction, how the Holy Spirit convicted my heart that day, I mean, the preaching hadn't even started yet. I look up, I look around, and just the thought out of the blue hits me. There's not one person in this service that you, quote, led to the Lord. Oh, man. And then the thought hit right behind it. I remember the first time I ever had that thought. Whoop. When I got saved, nobody had to beg me to go to church. I had a desire to go. There was a change that took place. And in one of my soul winning courses... And, it's, and if you had it, there, there, there was some good stuff in it. It was Curtis Hudson's. I've taken the Jack Hiles and the Curtis Hudson one at this time, all those. I had them memorized. I would listen to them over and over and over and over again. Was you literally went back, and I could just about quote him. I can hear him on my cassette tape. You keep on going back. You keep on bugging them until they finally come. There's something horribly wrong with that. All right. Let's go to the woman at the well. All right. Let's go to the woman at the well. By our standards today of witnessing with how I learned it when I was 16 years old. When that woman at the well said, I want eternal life, 
We all know what's going to happen next. She's praying. Is that what Christ did? By the way, when I went to my pastor struggling with it, he didn't realize he gave me great advice. We still joke about that day. I've told you the story before. Remember, I was, I was greatly struggling with my faith because of that. I mean, it was actually just sending me down a, a spiral because just of that. I'm like, what else am I believing that's wrong? And what am I doing that's wrong? I didn't even know. And so I'm at his office waiting to come in. And, I, and so I let him know my concern. We're just talking at his door. He was in a hurry. And, and, and he just said this. He said, I suggest you check your soul winning methods without you seeing the Bible. I thought, that's a good idea. I've never done that. Woman at the well was one of the very first ones. Conviction hit. Because again, I'm one of those guys when she says, I want eternal life, she's ready. It, it's, it's fruit right for picking. It's right there. It's easy. But Jesus didn't do that, did he? What did he say? What did he tell her? Go get your husband. I'm not doing that. I know that. He dealt with her sin. How about the rich young ruler? I want eternal life. I want eternal life. What must I do? Yeah. Yeah. And Christ went to the law. You want to talk about confusing me? I'm like, this isn't what I'm doing. And then it got worse as I went through Acts. I'm like, I don't see anybody witnessing like I am doing, not one. So needless to say, that led to multitudes praying a prayer without any genuine conversion. Okay. Now, in John's day, the issue with those who are unconverted in the church, all right, dealt with a, a, a reality of a false doctrine of Gnosticism that had come in, as well as the Judaism that was still affecting from the false Judaizers that had those that were trusted in a measure of works. Okay? So, let's come back to our text now. The key to understanding this, as you break this text down, goes into the tense of the word, sin. That's where I, that's where I have the statement from, it's not dealing with perfection, but direction. The tense is in what we call the perfect tense. It's, it's continual, habitual action is what it's in. Each time it's used, every single time, that's the tense that is used for it. Contentual, uh, over and over and over. This is teaching a, Christian, a Christian's behavior does in fact change immediately towards sin when he is converted. Without a doubt, Every time. A Christian will be miserable when he sins and desire to change. A desire to follow God. His thinking changes towards sin. His thinking changes towards the law. It's it's dealing with habitual sin. That's where the Christian who is saved, when it's it's just continual, actually, like, no, 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 I'm not staying in this. I'm changing. The struggle begins between, the, between this new nature where you are born again, which is perfect and sinless in that sense. John Phillips, who uh, he's, he's one of the commentators I like a lot, he, his wording here really sums up this section. He said this, If we don't have a belief that behaves, we probably don't have a salvation that saves. He's right. He's right. 
So within this text, I'm going to break it down to three causes, uh, or reasons maybe I should say here, of why a Christian changes his behavior and attitude towards sin because of conversion. And this takes place for all Christians. We're going to see, number one, our conversion changes our attitude toward the law of God. Our conversion allows Christ to do a work in us that changes really our ability towards sin. And thirdly, the fact that regeneration changes our behavior towards sin. So, let's dive into this text a little bit and try and get some understanding. And uh, it's probably good we did have it canceled because I should have been finished already with the sermon if we had the business meeting tonight. So, point number one now we're getting to. Conversion as we're going to see here, changes our attitude toward the law. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Obviously, this verse within this text is the easiest to understand, and, and as it's defining sin, sin is a breaking of, of the law. Now, we know that upon conversion, we're, we're not under the law as a system at all, but it certainly still is a standard that exists. Before salvation, God's law is not something you love. It's something, really, that you try to get around. But that changes with salvation. Your view towards God's law changes. God's Holy Spirit indwells you and seals you. Now Now your view of trying to honor God and trying to please God and trying to follow God, that changes. Whereas a lost man is indifferent to the law. <clears throat> I mean, we certainly see that in our culture. They're living so indifferent to the law of God, they can care less about it. They're living like there is no lawgiver, like there is no final judgment. Yet for the Christian, at conversion, a work is done in your heart, which God changes your attitude toward the law. Let me try and give an illustration of a guy. I was in, in New Guinea. I'm preaching at the market. I finished preaching, and I went back to my house, and one of the men who had listened to me preach had followed. And so I went down to talk to him, and we had a great time. He was traveling through. He was from another island. And anyhow, an hour later, I lead him to the Lord. It was, it was sweet. He's in tears. As soon as I led him to the Lord, though, he had to get down to the beach here to get on one of, our, one of those banana boats to get to the island he was from. So I said, I'll run you down there. So keep in mind, he, he, he's, he's, he's now five minutes old in Christ, and that's it. We jump in my vehicle. I'm not even backed out of my, out of my yard yet, my driveway yet. And he says to me, he says, just out of the blue, he says, I have to stop chewing buai, don't I? I've never mentioned buai yet. Buai is sort of their, it's, the, it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's cultural, especially in our island at least. I mean, you sit down somewhere, they're giving you buai. It's, it's their little drug effect they have. It grows on a tree. They mix it with this mustard stuff. It's pretty nasty. Anyhow, it, it has a drug effect. And I never brought it up once. I didn't preach on it at the market. And just out of the blue, he says, I have to stop that. You want to know what happened? He got converted. Work is already beginning towards sin. Just like when I got converted. The day I got converted. Uh, on June 30, 1982. Uh, it was, you know, right around 12 o'clock. I put my faith in Christ that afternoon. I'm with, I'm with my friends and I cussed. And for the first time, I got convicted. I didn't know what conviction was yet. But I did. I said it, and I was like, 
man, that doesn't seem right. Now, I didn't relate that to my conversion yet at all. I did not, but I just, I just knew, well, that doesn't seem right. I shouldn't be doing that. Well, what happened? I was converted, and all of a sudden there's a work being done in my heart that is changing how I viewed the law of God. Okay? Um, look at Psalm 119. Look at Psalm 119. This we sing. This is what takes place for the Christian. For the lost man, he is indifferent. He just wants to get around it. He sees it as constraining. He's, you know, all kinds of issues. But look at, look at 97 of Psalm 119. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Now there's a love for it. There's a love for it. We don't desire to break God's law. We grieve when we do. Now, for the Christian, look at this. Our attitude towards the law is described in Romans chapter 7. Turn to Romans chapter 7. I can't wait to get... We're in Romans 5, and it's, I love 5, 6, and 7, and 8. Great chapters. Then we get to 12. 9, 10, 11. I like those two. They're, they're parenthetical. Um, but anyhow, we'll, let me stay with one thought at a time. Romans chapter 7. <clears throat> Here is our new attitude toward the law as described by Paul in Romans chapter 7. He says this in verse 12. Wherefore, this is his conclusion upon conversion where he was deceived by it. He thought it was, he, at first, he, when he got done talking prior, he thought the law was actually his road to salvation. Then all of a sudden it hit him. It's not. It's there to show me I need salvation. It's not the road to salvation. And so now he goes, now he says this in verse 12. Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which was made death unto me, I mean, it was the law that was condemning him, it was to show him you need salvation. God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good. The sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now this gets good, right, isn't it? For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good now, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I, here's all the struggle that takes place. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into the captivity of law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Then it gets into chapter 8, and even John's really going to try and put chapter 8 into a verse, basically. All right? Because we're going to see as I get into the second point, that Christ didn't just save us to justify us. He also saved us to affect our ability when we're dealing with sin, because we have this war that's taking place. 
All right. So let me go on to that. Point number two. Conversion not only changes our attitude towards God's law, but conversion allows Christ to do a work in us that changes our ability towards sin. Let's go back to 1 John. Verse 5, and you know that he was manifest to take away our sins. That's salvation. And in him is no sin. That's Christ. He was perfect. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. You can see in these verses, he's going to once again make a point. He's tried to stress over and over, trying to see who's converted and who is not. All right? And so within this, he deals with the work that Jesus Christ did when we got converted. We were justified. Were we not? I mean, I mean we, had, we were in this horrible state before God. Something had to take place. Christ, God became man. He goes to the cross. He takes our sin upon himself. He gives us his perfect life. I am now, when God looks upon me, he sees perfection. He sees his son's righteousness. Okay? That's what's allowing me to be able to have salvation and go to heaven to be with Christ. But it's just not about something in the future is what John's saying. Yes, he saved us. He's he's justified us. That's taken place. But he's also did this to destroy the works of the devil. Dealing with our present life now. So when you're saved, that's what Romans chapter 8 is going to get into, by the way. When you're saved now, okay, so what do we do? We still have this sinful nature. It's still present. It's still there. Paul Paul dealing with the struggle. The, 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 The good that I would, I do not. Yet the evil that I would, not that I do. But for Paul, listen, he's getting into the war. It wasn't about getting around it. What his desire was, was to follow the law, was was to please God, was to follow holiness. Was to somehow have a life that that, that, that could please him. And he's like, I need strength. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 8 deals with something that comes with salvation. That helps us live victorious. The indwelling Spirit of God that happened as a result of regeneration. This is the same place that John is going. Christ came, listen, Christ came to purify us even now, not just justify us. Look at Titus chapter 2. Verse 14 says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Now look, look at this. And this is why he gave himself for us. It wasn't just to justify. It also deals with how we live every day. And purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Christ came to purify us, not just justify us. 
He came with this change comes an ability through God's Holy Spirit that we can live a victorious life. Look at, uh, uh, what is it? First Peter. First Peter. I'll, I'll read one. You don't have to turn there for time's sake. I'm, I, I need to get through this. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 24 says this. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins, now get this, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. It ties in the importance of our justification and salvation with happening at the cross, but also another aspect of it deals with our life currently on this earth. Well, the Lord just doesn't save us and justifies. He wants to help us with our ability as we struggle with the flesh that's still present, that will be there until we actually get into heaven and see Christ. We will have the sin nature. So for the Christian, what he's saying, what comes into play is, is, is a, a lost person can be content. They're fine with just being in sin. Oh, well, I don't really care. You know, unless it affects maybe a relationships outside. Maybe it is affecting their family and they want to change because of that. That happens. I get that. Or, or there's another thing. It's affecting career. So they have another, some type of outside motivation that's affecting that. But for the Christian, all Christians... There's a desire to want to please God. To say, I don't want to stay in this. I don't want it to be as the tense is used over and over and over and over. The war that Paul described takes place. I want out of it. I want to do the good that I want to do. I don't want to do the evil that I am doing. See, there's something wrong with Christians when all you want to do is figure out how much you can get away with instead of how, fast, how close you can get to God. You better check your salvation. See, our problem is, it's true for all of us, we are still attached to this rotting corpse. And it's horrible. But when God saved us, he said, listen, I'm providing help. John's primary point is this, remember, he's trying to tell you, listen, those who have, don't want the righteousness, they're not saved. I don't care what they prayed. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, but all things are become new. <clears throat> and he dealt with this. Wasn't it, he talks about when you... Maybe that first John. This is this is interesting. I want you to think about this. He said this in those verses. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him. Again, it's over and over and over. That's the person who can just live in it and is fine with it. That's not true of a Christian. You want rid of it. You want help with it. You want you want to get away from it. All right. But he says this hath not seen him. The truth is, when you really do see Christ, let's go back to conversion, that changes things. I mean, I still remember sitting there when it, when it clicked, when I'm hearing the gospel, what Christ did for me. Again, I was sitting on a pew on that side of the church. There was just two rows. wasn't three. I'm on that side. Pastor John Norris sitting down, talking with me. And all of a sudden, it clicked as he's going over the gospel. Christ died for me. 
the Son of God. And then at that moment, I wouldn't even say the tears just started, just started flowing. I saw him different. This ties into, for the love of Christ constraineth me. When you realize what the Son of God did, how could you not want to please him? How could you just be content to stay in sin? John's point is, you can't. If you've seen him, you can't. You want out. Does it make sense? You understanding? See, I'm now motivated, not by law, but love for Christ to honor him, even in his law. He that doeth righteous is righteous. That person that lives wickedly, habitually in sin, without regret, listen to me, is lost. Thirdly, conversion, as we see here, results in regeneration, which we know, which changes also our behavior towards sin. Look at 9 and 10. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. This is is where it is getting into our new nature in Christ. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. He that doeth righteousness, or he that doeth not righteousness, is not of God. Neither he that loveth not his brother. So keep in mind what John is dealing with. You have the Gnosticism in, and there was an element of that teaching that he was dealing with that basically said you can just give into the flesh. And somehow there are these, quote, these Christians who had no problems with that. They were just giving into the flesh. It was great. And John's saying, listen, if, if you can stay like that, and that's not bothering you, you're not saved. I'm telling you right now. You don't have conversion. I was just like that one preacher who, who, um, um, who I am friends with, and, and we're about the same age, and we have similar stories, so to speak, in how God dealt with our heart. He was out soul-winning door-to-door when it hit him that he was witnessing wrong. And it's because of what a guy said to him. He knocked on the door. He's going through the Romans road as fast as he could, and he asked the guy if he wanted to pray, and the guy said, the guy stopped him. He said, let me get this straight. And he even told him, he said, if I pray this prayer, I'm going to heaven. He said, yes, sir, that's right. And he said, he said that's all I got to do. He said, yes, that's it. He said, Good, let's do this now because I got some sinning I want to do tonight. And he said, I, he was in college at the time, young in faith as well. He just said, I just turned and walked away. I didn't say bye. He goes, I just knew at that moment, whatever I'm doing is wrong. It's wrong. And think how the devil used it. That became so pride-motivated in our circles. It did. It did. Pride-motivated. I mean, I, 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 I've been in those. Hey, Jacob, how many did you lead the Lord today? How many? How many? Did you get 50? 60. Wow. Then Aaron's going to come back. I got 62. Brother Nick's going to come. I got 63. Pride. 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 And know how that pride motivates you? Now when you go out, you're at that store, you've got to get numbers. Testimony time's coming up at church. 
I'll just go see Jacob. He needs to get saved. And you'll do what you can to get somebody to pray that prayer. That happened all the time. Happened all the time. So as we see in these verses, the Lord gives a new nature which is perfect and cannot sin. That's very true. It cannot. Impossible because it's born of an incorruptible seed. It is perfect. We still have the old nature though. We have been made sons. We have a new birth born of this incorruptible seed. Again, but remember, John's point is this just doesn't deal with the future, but even now. We then are to yield to the new nature, as Romans 8 and Romans 6 will get into. Yield, yield, yield. Yeah, there was a, I read this story several years ago. It's really good. It was a Sunday school teacher with little kids. I remember it was a guy. And he said this to his class. He had said he was teaching on the two atoms within, trying to deal with the natures, is what he was, and trying to describe it to kids. And so he was trying to see if they understood. So he simply asked do you understand you know, what I meant by the two atoms? Something like that. And a little girl raised her hand and said, yes, I think I do. And, and the teacher will go on and explain, how do you understand? He said, well, she said, well, if temptation comes knocking to my door, I better not let the first atom answer that door. And he said, that's exactly right. And it is. You yield to the new nature. It's born of an incorruptible seed. You yield to the Spirit of God in your life. I mean, we're not going to... Ezekiel 36, 26, the Lord promised in the Old Testament He would give a new heart. We're made new creatures in Christ, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. So for the Christian, our attitude, our actions, our ability towards sin and towards God's law changes. If you claim to be saved and you have no problems with your sin, please... Follow the scripture guidelines and examine yourself. It's not going, but I prayed that. I, I, listen, I don't care. That's not what the Bible says you base that on. You base it on your fruit in your life. What fruit is being produced? If there is no desire for God, you are finding you want to get into sin. Something is horribly wrong. With heads bowed and eyes.